please take note of this number, 800-656-HOPE. If you or anyone you know needs help with any kind of sexual assault, please reach out to RAIN. RAIN is the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline, and again, their number is 800-656-HOPE. SNAP is the survivor's network of those abused by priests. More information can be found at snapnetwork.org or on our website at shadowspod.com. back everyone Gemma's not going to be with us today she's not feeling very well so it's going to be mike and i mike let's go ahead and jump into episode four what's the first timestamp? okay uh thanks shane uh thanks for having me back first uh time stamp we're, we're looking at sharon may in episode four and we're looking at 12 30 right at the very beginning when she starts talking and she's She's talking about she was driving to the cemetery when they were digging up all the evidence, and she's explaining very flamboyantly that she was driving her red convertible, and it was explaining all this stuff. And, you know, that's irrelevant information, overly specific information that the listener doesn't need to know about. You know, she could just say, hey, we were driving to the cemetery to see this evidence being dug up. That's all she needed to say. But that, that signal she wanted to come across is she's open. She's fun. You know, I was having a great time. The sun was out or whatever in my convertible and I was on my way to see this. So it was kind of a kind of a sign of deception. Like, hey, I'm open. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to answer all these questions, honestly. So it was, it was kind of kind of interesting to see that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I like how you worded that, that she was being over specific. I remember when I first watched it and I first saw the interview with Sharon, I I thought that it was kind of an awkward exchange. Like, why are you telling us about this beautiful convertible and how excited you were? That had nothing to do with, with what we're talking about. Nothing to do with it. And it's just totally irrelevant, you know? So like I said, she wants to be open and candid and be like, hey, you know, but it's a serious matter. She's going to drive to see this evidence being dug up and she's kind of making it about herself, you know? Exactly. Is your next timestamp about Sharon as well? Yeah, they're all... We've got a I've got a bunch on her. She's she's a very interesting person. Uh, during that during this interview in episode four, at twelve fifty, she's explaining the boxes coming out of the hole. You know when they were digging up, and she's being she's kind of downplaying everything. She's saying, "Oh, they were wet," and just her tone, the way she's saying it. That's what you the listeners have to listen to. Just downplaying like it's not important. They were wet. They had to be dried out. They had to be sorted. And then she went right into saying, but there was nothing that pointed to Maskell that he molested these kids. And then she ends with a shoulder shrug. So she's being very specific about, you know, there was nothing pointing to Maskell, you know, about molesting these children. But then she ends it with, 
a shrug, which one of the indicators we look for when we're talking to someone during an interview is verbal certainty, which she was. She was very certain. It was nothing there with, to do with Maskell. But then she shrugged as if to say, I don't know, really, if there was. So another, another textbook sign of deception. So the fact that she's shrugging, that kind of goes against the certainty that she's speaking vocally. Right. Yep. Good cut. Yeah. So it's verbal certainty. She's saying, yeah, Maskell, there was nothing in there that pointed to him. And then she shrugs like, well, not sure, really, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of a, that was good one. And that, and that's right at the end as she, as she uh, stops talking about molesting the kids. So at 13.12, when asked about pornographic material being found, she stated that she had no recollection that they found any. Maybe we did. I just don't remember. I think that something should be that she should have known. She really didn't remember. They could have, but I just don't remember. I mean, that's an indicator of another deception indicator. Cannot remember significant facts or details. You know, it's just classic. I have to emphasize that these these response she gives a classic deception. And a lot of Sharon May's responses are really quick and small, especially her facial and her body movements. So you really have to look, you have to tell the listeners, they really have to look and see with these timestamps that I mentioned. You have to really see them because, you know, it's it's easier for me to see them because it's what I do. But when you you may have to, you know, rewind and watch it again, but they're there and you'll and you'll see them. It might take you a couple of times, but you'll be like, Oh yeah, there it is, you know. One of the things that caught me when I watched this this episode for the first time is how overly specific she is in terms of her memory of driving her convertible to the site. Right. And then suddenly she does not recall if there was pornographic information or material exactly. in the hole. Like right. in my mind, yeah. I would think someone would remember if that's in the hole not necessarily that you just drove your brand new convertible and how you felt driving that convertible. That just seems like a very significant fact that I don't see someone forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, as she was saying, while she was explaining her convertible, her pitch rate was up and down, you know, her voice, she was getting this, you know, they, when people do that, they're trying to emphasize, you know, like I'm excited, you know, believe me, you know, my voice is, I was driving my red convertible, you know, and it just goes up and down like that, which is another, another indicator of deception. She's just full of, full of those, you know, indicators of deception. And, um, yeah, she's very interesting to watch. Okay. So we can move on to the next one at 1325, right when she, right when, uh, Ryan's asking her a question, I don't have the question written down, but it's 1325. And the keepers. Ryan is stating to Sharon May that the information they were given had to do with actual photographs that were in the hole. She bites her lip. And she's biting her lip. That's a sign of an indicator of deception because her mind's trying to attempt to suppress her speech. So your mind's saying, don't say anymore. Bite your lip. Don't, don't continue talking. So that's what she says. And it's followed by a delayed response, which she is having time to think about what she wants to say and also biting her lip, too. So that's an interesting one to watch. It's at 1325. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. At 1331, not, not 
soon after that, the one about biting her lip, she's asked about pornographic uh, photos of the girl's breast. And she repeats part of the question. When he asks about photographs, she says, photographs? You know, and, and that's another indicator of deception. This gives her mind, even though it's just a few, maybe not even a few seconds, for her to repeat that gives her mind more time to process an answer that will be acceptable, you know? So she has, so when she, you know, Ryan says something like, well, there were pictures of, you know, so-and-so said there were pictures of girls, you know, topless breasts. And uh, she said, photographs? And then she went into the whole thing of, uh, no, 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 I would have known if there were photographs, you know? But uh, totally gives her uh, more time to answer the question and think about what she's saying. That's the, that's the thought process behind that when you repeat a question or part of a question. In in your experience, does do people normally do that if they're trying to not be truthful? Oh, absolutely. I've run into people that will be like, you know, you're asking them a simple question like, Hey, where where were you at one thirty yesterday? And they'll repeat back the whole thing like, Where was I at one thirty yesterday? You know? And that just gives them that little extra time to make up, you know, a lie, decept be deceptive be deceptive. Sure. Yeah, that makes total sense. Pretty interesting. Uh, so Sharon May, I have to, I have to tell you, she has a lot, she has a lot of microfacial expressions in this, in this clip. She, a lot of signs of contempt. She doesn't want to be there. When she makes this face, you can see her. She kind of purses her lips together and her eyes kind of, her eyebrows kind of go up and her head tilts to the side. That's a classic look of contempt like she doesn't really like these questions she doesn't like being in this situation whenever she a lot of the times it shows up she answers the question then she gives this look like you know you, you'll be able to see it and that's at uh 1341 and once you see this one you'll if you go back through the through the clip you'll see it a lot so it's microfacial of contempt at the interview of when she when he mentions the photos again like she just gives this look like again do i have to answer this again it's it's kind of interesting to see her do that for the next timestamp, it's at 16 minutes and 40 seconds she's got a delayed response followed by a deep sigh when asked if maskell was guilty of sex abuse so she really takes this long time to think about this answer and then she gives herself a deep sigh because when you're being deceptive, you want to get more oxygen. It's your body's response. Okay, I have to get more oxygen into my blood so I can think about what's going on. So it's kind of a stress deception factor. So I'm going to take this deep sigh and I'm going to relax and I'm going to freaking I'm going to try to think about I'm going to try to think about what I what I need to tell them what what will be acceptable. So that that's a really good one to watch her do that. The delayed, the delayed response followed by the deep sigh. And at 1737, when asked if the state's attorney's office ran interference for the church, she looked away, away from Ryan, away from the interviewer, and gave a delayed response, and her voice pitch changed. Now, that's a deception cluster. Now, when you have more than two, it's a definite sign that she's not being truthful um, during that point. Um, uh, they're, they're very... 
pronounced, you'll be able to see all three of them. She kind of looks away towards the window, and she takes a long time to answer, and then her voice pitch changes, and you'll hear that change, and um, all classic signs of being deceptive. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty textbook for that one, too. Yeah, so what you're saying is by her doing that, that would make you believe that that wasn't a truthful answer that she was then going to give. Right, right. So, you know, she probably knew, and this is my opinion, uh, she probably knew that there was interference ran, and she looked away and said, you know, I can't make that. When you can't make eye contact with someone like that and you look away, that's, you know, 100% being deceptive. And when you can't process a thought right away, most people would be like, no, we didn't run into interference. There was no interference. It would come right out. You know, you, you know the fact and that's it. And when she looks away and has that long delayed response and the uh, pitch rate volume change, uh, yeah, it's, it's not good for her. So she was definitely being deceptive and she probably did know about interference being run. So I would say that one was uh a good good example of deception, her being deceptive. And at 1833, when she stated if the allegations were made uh, about Maskell, if she if they asked her, you know, were the allegations, she said she she would look at it. If she had the goods, it got charged. That's as straightforward as I can be, and that's what she said. Right. So her verbal message doesn't match the physical gesture. Once again. She's nodding no while she's saying while she's saying that's as straightforward as I can be. So once again, you know, you're telling one thing, but your mind knows that it's not true. So your body automatically signals and gives you the no. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She just she's like she's like saying no in her mind, but her verbal message is, you know, that's as straightforward as I can be. Yeah, that makes total sense. I can definitely see how someone's mannerisms wouldn't follow up or they would be more truthful than what they are being verbally. Right. If if she was saying that's as straightforward as I can be, she should be nodding yes. You know, that's as straightforward as I can be. Yeah. Not saying no. Makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention throughout throughout that clip. Now uh, another another sign of being under extreme stress is a bulging neck artery. And if you see Sharon while she's talking, there's actually good light lighting in that, in that clip, that part of the interview, where you can see it's almost like rope-like, her, her carotid artery is on the, you can see it mostly on the right side. And it's extremely, I mean, you have to see when she turns and don't, and I know listeners will say, no, that's the ligaments in her neck. No, you can tell the difference. You can see this carotid artery, like I said, it's almost rope-like in thickness. And when she turns in certain way the light hits, you can see it. And a bulging neck artery means her blood pressure's up and she's under an extreme amount of stress right there. So throughout throughout that, they can the listeners can look for that. As, especially with the window behind her, you can see it. And it's uh a classic sign of stress and that her blood pressures up and she's very uncomfortable being there. After Jim and I started doing this podcast to further discuss Kathy's case and the abuse surrounding this entire scenario, uh -huh. we actually reached out to Sharon to see if she would like to do a podcast with us. And we explained that, you know, we would be 
respectful and just allow her to give her own insights and opinions and everything like that. But she refused, I mean, plainly refused to do it. Is she still in the Baltimore area? Uh, yeah, she's in the, she's still in the area. Oh, okay. So, you know, it, it could be a, a number of things. I mean, there's always the money question, you know, the payoff, you know, and this is my opinion, you know, she could have been paid by the Catholic Church to run interference. Either way, whatever she had to say in terms of her memory, I mean, clearly some there, there's deception going on. So I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to discuss this part and what you caught, because now we can actually put timestamps and expressions into what we've all already thought is that she is not being honest. <laughs> you know, we can't, we, we've not been able to say exact reasons why until now with your help. But I think everyone who watches The Keepers feels like she's not being fully honest about, about it. Right. Yeah. And she's, she's not very good at show, covering up her, her, uh, her, her indicators either because, like I said, I think in the first time we talked, I mean, you can't. I mean, as hard as you, as hard as you try, you can't hide these things. They're involuntarily and they're involuntary and they're going to come out. You know, you can try. The best you can, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to come out some Right. I have a feeling that the creators of the Keepers went to interview her. I have this feeling that she didn't know the full extent of the questions that they were going to ask or the knowledge that they had. Yeah. So that's probably why we see her being so forthcoming in terms of her expressions, showing her frustrations, and her and in you know, being able to catch all of that because she likely didn't know what she was getting herself into. And I say that because I know that when they sat down with the detectives, you know, those detectives also did not know all of the information that the filmmakers had. So you could see during that interview that they were kind of like, oh, you know about that. You know, so that was a, that was kind of like my, what I, what I got gathered from the interview with Sharon May, I just don't think that she would have agreed to the interview if she knew what, you know, how, how in-depth those questions were going to be. Yeah, and the good thing is that for her not knowing, it was better for me to see these indicators, to see her being candid, you know? Oh, yeah. So if she had known, say, she demanded to know the questions before she asked, she could have had scripted responses. She could have gotten all our facts together and made up more, you know, stories sure. about what really happened but so it was good to see good for me to observe her that way not knowing what was going to be asked because they just float out you know right right yes there definitely is no cover-up yeah definitely no cover <laughs> but uh she uh she's very animated in her facial expressions and like i said uh you'll see that contempt facial expression a lot the lips squeezed together the eyes kind of squint she just looks mad you know, and you'll see that, and it's quick sometimes, but uh, everybody will, will get to see it, that it's her, her way of showing that she doesn't want to be here, you know? Right. Before we move on to the to the next section, I just wanted to say a, a little short funny thing. Whenever I see a red convertible now, <laughs> I always think back to my frustration of that interview. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that red convertible. Oh. And now I will too. I know it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was just so funny that the way she's not talking about that. Like, what, what, what does this have to do with anything? Right. 
Right, exactly. Out of the Shadows is sponsored by Best Fiends. One of the things that I love about true crime is that the further you dig into a story, the more layers you uncover. That's part of what I love about the puzzle game Best Fiends, too. The more I play, the more fun it gets. Reaching each new level feels like uncovering a new layer in a story. One you get to take part in. And the best part is, the longer you play Best Fiends, the more exciting it gets. When I need to get my mind off the world and hard to hear stories, I play Best Fiends. I play every night, and since my game is linked to my Facebook, I compete with friends to reach a higher level. When you start playing, make sure to add me on Facebook. My favorite character is Vega. She's a firefly. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added each month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips. You can even play offline, with over 100 million downloads and tons of 5-star reviews. Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends, without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, so I think that does it for Sharon May uh, and all her. There's a few other ones later, but nothing. I don't think the few clips they had of her are really short, but I don't think there was anything major. But on episode four, episode four, this is the end. It's just a clip of Dr. Ritka. This is in episode six at 21 minutes and 44 seconds. When they're at the door and they go to his house, you know, he's just showing um, two, two indicators for, for him. When asked if he knew Father Maskell, it was a very delayed response. And he mentioned whatever years ago, but it was a really delayed response. He didn't know what to say. He didn't want to say if he knew him really well. So he just kind of waited, thought about it, and then kind of blew it off. And he, he also gave the hand wave, dismissive hand wave, as he was talking like, uh, you know, that's it. You know, I'm done. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk to you and just wave them off, like go away, you know? So that was the only things I had on him because it wasn't very long, but, uh, both, uh, you know, especially delayed response deception and the, the hand wave was just a, uh, dismissive gesture. But, um, anyway, that was, that was it for episode four for me. We can go into episode six. It's, uh, it's probably the longest one and it involves mostly uh, Edgar. Okay, so episode six, we're going to be talking primarily about Edgar. And, you know, the first time they, when the interview start, started with Ryan in his apartment, you know, the first observation I noticed was the stuffed animal. This timestamp is two minutes and 18 seconds. What's with the stuffed animals? And he's like surrounded by them. So stuffed animals, soothing characteristic it doesn't have to be stuffed animals it can be anything that calms the person down puts the person at ease um but it signals a traumatic event in the person's life they need to be soothed they need to be surrounded by things that comfort them so that was interesting to see so many childlike stuffed animals around the room and uh it's it's you can look it up. It's pretty, it's pretty characteristic of someone that's been through a traumatic event like that, especially someone that lives alone like he did. Uh, he actually didn't live alone. He's married, but the wife was not at home 
when he agreed to be interviewed. And I say that just because of the kind of like, with all of the stuffed animals, and I believe they had a mattress on the floor. It was just kind of a weird. Yeah, the mattress on the floor. I think that's why I probably assumed he was living alone. Figured, you know, all right, he's got this mattress on the floor and it's surrounded by stuffed animals. So, yeah. So, okay. So he was still, he was married. You know, and, and you know, again, the, the stuffed animals, and it was kind of a, kind of an unkept place it looked like. And it was, uh, you know, could have been a little bit of a hoarding issue those stuffed animals which is another emotional um issue in itself so you know that alone just an observation right off the bat that i was like hmm this guy's been through something to have them sitting on the floor like that around the mattress instead of up on a shelf or in boxes kind of strange yeah very strange all right at 259 when he's shown maskell's picture and asked do we know asked if he knows who he is and he responds maskell instantly he begins to self-soothe by face touching so he's stroking his face touching his face which is a stress indicator you know it's just the way to calm down you know this is all right and then the increased breathe the increased breathing rate started now i want to emphasize on the increased breathing and i know people will say he's old He's got breathing problems. That's not what this is. There's two different types. Now, when someone has issues with their breathing from a medical issue, it's deep. It's from the chest. You know, you can't breathe. You're like, you need an oxygen mask. It's that type of breathing. So what we call the type he's doing, he's pursing his lips and he's blowing out of his lips. And that's, we call it a fish out of water. So this guy is, the minute he sees Kathy's picture, you know, he gets this breathing in masks. He's doing it the whole time. It just comes out of nowhere, and you'll see the different clips that he's fine. But when he gets these stress indicators, he gets these stressful situations, this breathing comes back, and he needs more oxygen in his body because he's getting stressed out, which can also be a sign of deception. It's a it's one of those things I mentioned earlier, uh, last episode or last time we talked, it's called a double zipper, and it could be either stress or deception. So, so it's, it's the gulping of air, the pursing of lips, that's the difference from a medical issue. And when he's shown Kathy's picture, after they showed a Maskell's picture, he takes the biggest, one of, one of the biggest exaggerated swallows, hard swallows that I've ever seen someone take. Like even, even in my whole time doing this, I mean, this was a huge one. He could barely, I think he almost choked he took a, such a hard, hard swallow when he saw Kathy's picture and they asked him, do you know her? And he said, Kathy, you know, and that swallow was just, just amazing to see. Like he said, that was like, that was like an oh no moment, you know? And as well as the increased breathing started up again. Um, at 432, it shows his hand fidgeting with a rubber band. And I, want, I, was want, I wish I could find out because at the end they show him putting it down. And I wish I could know if he fidgeted with that rubber band the whole time they were talking to him. Obviously, he didn't because sometimes he's got both hands doing stuff, but I wonder if he kept picking it up and fidgeting with it. That'd be interesting to know because that's a stress indicator that he's very uncomfortable. It's called exaggerated. It's called fidgeting. Yeah, we could 
we can have Gemma ask the cameraman. I bet he would remember. Yeah, yeah. So doing something like that, having something in your hands, a comforting thing, it takes your mind off the subject you're being taught, you're being asked, even just for a few seconds, it can give you clarity of mind, like, all right, I need to think of something. So it soothes you. That was at 432 and he was fidgeting with the rubber band. I think it just shows him putting it down or picking it up, but uh, I, that's why I wanted to know if he had it in the most of the time. And at 4.45, he gives evasive and vague answers. When asked about the police, he just was irrelevant and just gave just, just an answer that didn't even make sense. He was just like, um, when asked about the police, what did they tell, what did they think? Um, he just gave a, you know, an irrelevant answer, evasive and vague at 4.45. And at 514, uh, Ryan asked him, do you know why they visited you, why the police visited you? And his eyes got really wide open, wide open eyes, kind of stressed, like, oh, no, oh, crap, what are they going to ask me, you know? Um, and then he begins to touch his face again. Again, a self-soothing gesture. He's got to calm down. What are they going to ask me? You know, I don't, I don't, I'm really stressed out. So he has a lot of stress indicators. But as we go down the list, you'll see how they get more in-depth. At 5.31, when asked, did he come home with blood on your shirt, he gave an exaggerated yawn. It's this one you have to really look for, but an exaggerated yawn is a stress and deception factor. So you make the motion of beginning a yawn, like the type when you're tired, but all of a sudden your mouth just shuts. So he it gives you a little more time. It's one of those things, again, that give you a little more answer. And it's just a response to a stressful question or being deceptive. He'll start that yawn like, I didn't want to try, and then just shut his mouth. So that's interesting to see. And it's really quick. It's called an exaggerated yawn. You have to watch for it because his mouth will open, then shut. And at 16.04, he cannot remember significant facts about when they asked him about how he hit his hand when they asked him how he did it he didn't know and again followed by that answer was another exaggerated yawn a small opening the start of the yawn process but then he ends it and which is another sign of deception which is saying he knows how he hit his hand he's just not going to say all right so at 639 so this one's really important and this is my observation, my opinion of this. This is called a behavior cluster, what, what I'm going to explain, and also known as a submission cluster. So a submission cluster is he was self-soothing. Notice that in the clip at 639, his, I think his left hand was in the shape of an L up by his ear and down along his jawline, stroking his mouth and his chin area with his dominant hand is um and also he had wide open eyes during this. so this whole submission cluster when they were asking him questions when he was showing all these clusters in my opinion this is a point where he just wanted to confess about his part in, in kathy's murder it's called the submissive pre-confession cluster also 
So I think at this point, and I'm pretty sure of it, I think that he wanted to confess what his role in Kathy's murder was. So if, if you were the one doing the interview at that time, would you have pressed him on that? Yep, absolutely. Because he was showing all this, all these things. His mind was not only splitting, but it was probably splitting four ways. You know, he wanted to say it, but he just, his subconscious just stopped him from, because you can see it. You can, you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his face. His face is basically covered by both hands and his eyes are wide open. Like I'm scared crap and I'm going to tell them what they want to know. But for whatever reason, he didn't do it. Moving on down to 817, and this is a really good indicator, and everyone will be able to see this. When asked if he did it, did he kill Sister Kathy, he covered his mouth while speaking, while answering the question. This is with his finger, just one finger straight across his mouth. Totally covered it. Now, this is the brain split. This is the mind attempting to stop the subject from telling the truth. It doesn't know what he's going to say, so it sends that finger over and says, stop talking, you know? But he says no, but he says it with the finger covering his mouth because you better not say yes, so I'm going to cover your mouth, but he says no. So that one's really, like, really great to see. It's it's textbook. It's right there. It's it's kind of uh, exciting for me to see that, to, to see it so blatant. And also, then he moves down to 821 and does the same exact thing. When asked, does he have information about her murder, the same exact movement, the same. There's no finger over his mouth. It's, it's just, it's classic and it's amazing to see when you see it like that. It's just so, it's almost, I want to say, perfect of that indicator perception, you know. At 826, we have him uh, basically with a denial flag, him saying he had nothing to do with it. But the key thing there is him gazing down. Gazing down while you're denying is a key indicator of deception. So my opinion, he probably did have something to do with it, but he's not going to say it because he's just denying this and it's a denial flag. And the key for that one is he wants to look down. And he looks down and doesn't make eye contact with Ryan. That's what that is. And at 8.35, uh, continue on episode six, he's again got that rubber band on the table and placed it down. So I assume he was fidgeting with that again. So I, that, like I said, that would have been great to, to know if he had um, – he had been fidgeting with that the whole time. And that would have been a comfort thing, right? Right, right. And that's calming him down um, and keeping, keeping his mind straight. In my opinion, oh, you know, again, I hate to keep saying it, but that he definitely was a major player in Kathy's murder, I believe, um, just by all this. He shows these, that, that cluster was key just the covering of the mouth and the wide open eyes and all the things I listed was, was definitely, I think, for sure, 
my opinion, that he was involved directly with Kathy's one of the the uh, plays for sure in, in, in her murder and moving her body and all that. Yeah, again, it's one of those things to where when people watch The Keepers, I think many of them take away from that interview that you feel like he's not fully telling the truth. So being able to sit here with you and discuss the different examples of where, you know, this is him being deceptive or this is an example of him trying to soothe himself because he doesn't want to say what he feels like he needs to say. So this has been very, very helpful. Yeah. So, you know, and even, you know, I have, I have a lot of texts on, on this, on this stuff, a lot of books, a lot of programs and training manuals that I've been through. And when I look at that cluster I mentioned earlier and all these, all these books and textbooks, training manuals all agree with what I saw. They're all pre-confession. He wanted to say it like, I don't know what he was thinking, but maybe it's time, you know, maybe it's time I let the cat out of the bag, but for some reason he didn't. And yeah, I don't, he's either got that strong will or he just didn't want to deal with what was going to come after if he did confess. Now those denial flag expressions, you know, they're they're interesting because you know they're characteristic you know and uh, uh, they mock a critical point in a subject statement you know and they're always like I didn't have anything to do with it and I mentioned this the last time we talked and I wouldn't lie to you honestly I didn't do it I had nothing to do with it I'm as straightforward as I can be and Sarah May said that same thing <laughs> you know so she was had a few denial flag indicators too but. Edgar says that, and, you know, he's just denying it as he gazes down. So it's clearly a sign of deception with him, clearly. So, yeah, I would like to know uh, what his thought process was at that time when Ryan was interviewing him, because he looked really stressed, really scared. He had them all. He had stress, fear, and, and deception all, all during that whole clip. It was pretty amazing to watch. That's it for Edgar, episode six.